From Studio One at the worldwide headquarters of ESPN and from Studio HD in Atlanta, Georgia, this is Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and on Sirius XM Channel 80. For the second consecutive day, the sports world has crowned a first-time champion. That's a first of many misspeaks because I'm too damn excited to hold it in. The Vegas Golden Knights hoisted the Stanley Cup last night, and they are champions of the world. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz. I'm going to try all that again, Harry. For the second consecutive day, a first-time champion was crowned. It felt much better. I thought it was going to be perfect in my head. It wasn't there, Harry, but you know what? I'm barely here right now because last night was wild. Fitz and Harry presented by Progressive Insurance. For anybody that couldn't hear me screaming from across the entire country, the Vegas Golden Knights had the chance last night to clinch their first-ever Stanley Cup championship at home in Las Vegas. It was a wild scene. It was an incredible environment. I watched a team that I love come out very tight early on, Harry. It took them a second. And then all of a sudden, Captain Mark Stone, who's the only captain in Las Vegas Golden Knights history, came up huge with the first goal. All of a sudden, the floodgates opened. Nine to three, I sat back and rejoiced. It's rare we talk about hockey on ESPN Radio, but right now, damn it, we will because the Golden Knights, Harry Douglas, are champions of the world. Yeah, and I'm, I'm excited for the Golden Knights, the city of Las Vegas, but most importantly, Fitz, I'm excited for you because I know how much you love this hockey team. And for this team to come to fruition six years ago, go to a Stanley Cup Finals in their first season, only to lose it to the Washington Capitals, have to, you know, garner that heartbreak, but be able to win it five years later is an awesome thing. And I also want to give a lot of credit to, you know, the six guys that started with the Las Vegas Knights, with the Vegas uh, Golden Knights. In March and Soul, you talk about Carrier, Carlson, McNabb, Theodore Smith, all of those guys, man, because those guys understood what this Stanley Cup final and this win meant. Right. Not just to them, but the city, because they endured that heartbreak. But to overcome adversity and be able to hoist it up, that Stanley Cup trophy and have the city of Vegas scream, yell, cheer for them, drink till they possibly passed out. It's just an amazing thing on today. I had a buddy text me this morning at eight o'clock Eastern time uh, and he was still out with the team. That's 5 a.m., all right? I'm just saying, like, and things <laughs> things were going last night. And and you're right. Vegas was a crazy environment. I owe Annabelle, my my dog, an apology because every time she came in the room, I'd yell loud when there was a score and she would leave the room. I, it, it, Annabelle, I'm sorry. But, you know, Harry, what's amazing, you just mentioned the heartbreak. And I want to remind anybody that, that doesn't know the story here, you got to go all the way back to the mass shooting that happened in Vegas. It was an obvious tragedy back in 2017. The city was very broken, and that was the first season of the Golden Knights. So the Golden Knights really became something that helped the city get through their darkest hour, right? Like, so you think about the relationship that that comes, and, and you know this as a player. Some cities and their teams just – they hit different. And so for all the conversation about the Raiders and whether or not they have a huge fan base in Vegas, and, you know, we could talk about whether pro sports, where, where pro sports are going in Las Vegas, we will talk about that. But over the course of what we saw last night, it was a reminder, these were locals. 
packed in to an arena on the strip for a team that locally they love, that a team that locally they support. Like, there is such a true bond between the city and the team because what they went through in the beginning in that process, that Stanley Cup run, it just hits different. And I think what I saw last night was part of that emotion from the players and the fact that, you know, frankly, Cassidy did a a brilliant job at the beginning by putting that misfit line out. Original Golden Knights came out to start the game, right? Like by doing that, he was sort of tipping his cap to this team, tipping this cap to the the city, uh, to the fans in attendance. It just shows you that... Winning a championship is about a special moment in time, right? Like, it's about having one of those seasons where everything goes right, but also one of those connective moments that the players will never forget. But also, guess what? Every person sitting in that arena will never forget. And also, every person like me, a fan halfway across the country, will never forget. Like, it just hits different when there's a true bond between a city and a team. Fitz, it also shows you how sports could be fantastic in the manner of you know, during heartbreak, during tragedy, and bring people together, right? And, and that's what I love about, you know, sports in general. I don't care which one it is. It brings people together. It gives people an outlet. Uh, it, it allows them to heal. It allows them to, I won't say get over the hurt, but be able to deal with it in a manner because you have a team in the Las Vegas Golden Knights that, you know, went out there and performed at a very, very high level. They just didn't win the Stanley Cup Finals and went through cupcakes in doing so. But they were dominant, uh, I think, in just about every series that they played in. You talk about three of the five games that was played in the Stanley Cup Finals where they scored five goals or more. That's domination to me. And only two of those games were close, and one of them was an overtime victory for the Florida Panthers. I, I just think how, how they dominated this Stanley Cup Finals is something I think – uh, needs to be talked about even more. He's Harry Douglas. I'm Jason Fitz. Fitz and Harry presented by Progressive Insurance. And if you've listened to this show since we launched, one thing you know is that Harry is Atlanta through and through. And you know that I'm Vegas through and through. It's where I'm born, where I was born, where I was raised. Vegas and Nashville are the two cities that really made me who I am. And what's funny, Harry, I, I thought a lot about that last night because thinking about Vegas and the way it's perceived, like you have Atlanta pride. L. Duncan has Atlanta pride. My buddy Trevor Scales worked for ESPN for long. Atlanta pride. Like there's something about Atlanta that when you're from Atlanta, you you every single group that comes out of like outcast hits different if you're from Atlanta, right? Mm-hmm. Like the fact hit di- right. Like different. Everything hits different because Atlanta is life, and that's part of the culture that's been grown. What's interesting to me is like when I was a little kid and I moved all over the country, the first thing kids would ask me when I moved was, well, are are your parents in the mob? Like in the late 80s, early 90s, the perception was, man, everybody from Vegas is dirty and everything from Vegas is is mafia related. Like I grew up in a world where professional sports weren't allowed because the concept was you couldn't have a team without the result being fixed. There was too much concern that the sports books would get involved, right? Like that's the way everybody saw Vegas. What's significant about last night is that it's a true chapter of this is a real championship. The Vegas Aces just did this. uh, Now the Golden Knights do it. It shows you that Vegas is building into a championship city that is a sports city that can be proud of something that's being done with superstars that are playing in front of wild environments. Those Aces games are incredible. Those Golden Knights games are incredible. Like This is a new sports city being born in front of all of us and it started with the Golden Knights. They were the first one to break ground there and say this is what we have to do and 
it has changed the way Vegas is going to be seen forever. Like, that's really powerful for a kid from Vegas that has to all the time justify when people see my tattoo everywhere I've ever lived and it looks like a Vegas skyline. The number of times it used to be, wow, that's weird. You love Vegas. And now people look at it differently, even in the last three, four years, where it's like, oh, that's cool. You're proud of Vegas. Like, that's a, a huge shift for somebody from that city that came in part from a championship last night. I think you're right, Fitz. Um, but also, right now, we're dealing with the potential of Las Vegas getting the Oakland A's and, and the A's moving to Vegas. On top of, I think, I think – the Golden Knights winning this championship, and you see what the Vegas Aces have been able to do um, as well. I think people like Adam Silver, who's the commissioner of the NBA, it opens their eyes to say, you know what? This can be done because you look at the success that those two teams have had, and then you hope soon that the that the Raiders get things going, and then the potential of the A's moving to Las Vegas, and it puts a puts a puts a bug in his I'll say in his ear that you okay, maybe we can make this work in the NBA in the future at some point and bring a team there, and you not you're not gonna have the distractions, and and players are able to focus um, in, in a manner in which they won't get caught up in certain things that you previously probably worried about when it came to Las Vegas. Yeah, you're totally right. And when you factor in the summer league and the success that it has, and I grew up with the UNLV championship. We all know I fangirled the heck out of Larry Johnson when he came up on this show. Like uh, UNLV back in the day, basketball has mattered to Vegas for a long time. I think the NBA is inevitable. Some of our insiders have told me off the record the NBA is inevitable. We'll try and ask one of our insiders later today what that means for Vegas. But to your point, Harry, more leagues are going to be looking at Gary Bettman, the commissioner of the NHL, who regularly is booed when he comes out to present the Stanley Cup. Last night when he walked out, he was cheered. He was cheered wildly because there's so much love for what sports have meant to Vegas. You can't tell me Adam Silver isn't looking at that saying, man, I love that that environment. I love that vibe. I want our, us to be part of it too. And I'll say one more thing, Fitz, because, you know, they used to host a Rugby Sevens tournament in Las Vegas, and I used to go out every year with that because I'm involved with the um, – the USA Rugby Sevens men's and women's team, right? And I was highly upset when they moved that tournament to Los Angeles because I thought it was they, – they actually did a great job of hosting that event every single year. So I'm, I'm saying that to hope someone's out there listening. Move it back to Las Vegas. I don't like going to L.A. for the tournament. Yeah, one thing I can promise you if you're out there listening, I'm going to be at the parade. I don't care when the parade is. I don't care how the parade goes down. I'm hearing a lot of rumors, some of which I'm very excited about. As soon as we have a parade report, I will get you the, the latest, greatest news because I intend to party with my city like a maniac to celebrate this championship. We got a lot more to break down on Vegas, but for all the rest of you, I know. We're now 36 hours removed from the Nuggets championship. The NBA silly season rumors have started. Wait until you hear which NBA superstar, not star, superstar, big name could be on the move. We'll talk Shut about it next. Mouth. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Fitz and Harry, the podcast.
With the NBA having crowned their champion, that means it's time for chaos. Maybe the most entertaining part of the non-NBA playoffs calendar is the offseason. Because the offseason gives us reckless speculation, wild rumors, and possibility of constant change. We're 24 hours in, and it looks like that's the case again. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. Again, we'll get back to the Vegas Golden Knights winning a championship at some point because, frankly, I'm on one today. But in the meantime, there are plenty of rumors around, abound, I should say, in the NBA. Not even rumors, but just conversation. Let's say it that way. Because I think it's really important to clarify here. Brian Windhorst, ESPN NBA insider, has made it clear that there are at least whispers. There's no rumors yet. There's no true speculation. There's just conversation happening around the NBA that involves one of the biggest names in the entire league known as Zion. This is what he said on Keyshawn J. Will and Max about the Pelicans and Zion. There's been some feel out there that the Pelicans want to move up in this draft. They have the 14th pick right now, and that they may want to move up in this draft. And I, I think it would be premature to say that they've made any offers of players. I don't want to go that far. But obviously, you don't have to be a next-level genius to realize that if they want to move way up in the draft, you're looking at potentially making Zion Williamson available. That would be a fascinating decision. Mm. But if the Pelicans are serious about moving up, I think it must be something that they're considering. Harry, I mean, it makes sense, but, man, that's a complicated issue. It is. And, you know, Zion Williamson right now, he has a lot of other things that he's dealing with. On top of being injured just about his entire career, we see a lot of off-the-court stuff right now with the, you know, females coming out or whatnot. But let's take it back to basketball. When when you, you have a guy like Zion who went number one overall, And when he's healthy and when he's on the court, he's a dominating force. And the New Orleans Orleans Pelicans were put in a position this year where they thought they were going to be able to compete for one of those top three, top four slots in the West. I actually thought they were going to be able to with a healthy Zion, but that wasn't the case. Now, when it comes to Zion and everything that's going on in his career, Fitz, I'm I'm, going to say this because I felt like this about, you know, teammates I've had in my past sometimes you just need to probably go somewhere else and get a fresh damn start like because of all the negativity that that has happened to Zion since he's been in New Orleans sometimes it's just better to just be able to go somewhere else now when you look at the NBA draft that's coming up you look at the top five spots and you have the Spurs at number one the Hornets at number two Portland at number three Houston at number four and Detroit at number five and New Orleans has the 14th pick. When I look at the top five picks, Portland is probably, as we're just looking at it right now, the only spot that makes sense for Zion and and, and trading. But you have an interesting point on this and why it probably won't be able to work. Yeah, for my money, there is zero chance in my mind that Portland would ever acquire Zion Williamson. Now, I understand why it makes sense. They're picking third overall, and according to multiple reports, it sounds like Scoot Henderson, who may be available at third overall, is on the roster of people that New Orleans would be interested in. Great. That's all That's all great. What do we know? We know Dame Lillard and C.J. McCollum have been long, long, long friends, right? What do we know? We know C.J. McCollum just played with Zion. We even heard plenty of reports when he came to the Pelicans that part of what they were hoping C.J. could do was give him a little kick in the butt about professionalism. 
I mean, what's the first thing Dame's going to do? He's going to pick up his phone. He's going to call CJ or text him. Well, the kids today. He's going to text CJ and he's going to say, uh, Zion, we want him. And CJ's going to send a bunch of laughing emojis and a no, right? And then and, uh, that's all it's going to take. <laughs> Dame's going to go to the front office and say, you want to keep me in Portland? Zion is not the way to do it. Because it's not like there isn't someone there that can give you the room, right? Like, if I'm curious about somebody that Harry knows, I'm going to call Harry and off the record, I'm going to say, man, do we, do, what, what do you think? Should I want to work with this person? And if Harry says no, is that going to carry weight? Hell yes, it is. When C.J. McCollum tells Dame Lillard, as I believe he would, that they should have no interest in Zion, that deal dies right there. And let me say this. You know, part of the reason why this, this entire conversation is coming up is because New Orleans are potentially thinking about moving up number three because of Scoot Henderson, right? Right. And that's a point guard a guy that can do a lot of different things on the basketball court at 6'2". Now, if this trade was to happen, let's just say hypothetically, you look at a guy now in C.J. McCollum who's been forced to play the point guard position, now he can move to his more natural position, which is the shooting guard, and now you can slot everybody else in in that manner uh, on top of whatever you get if the trade happens. I like what they have in Dyson Daniels as well. He was a, uh, also a former first-round draft pick that they had, I think, a year ago. And his size and versatility, being able to defend, being able to play, I think, one through three, because of his size, I think he could play a, a pivotal role in the New Orleans Pelicans uh, moving forward in their organization. But it's all a matter of, do New Orleans 100% feel like they need to move on from Zion right now? And I think if that's a 90%, a 90 to 100%, I think they do the deal or try to do the deal. If it's not 90, I don't think you do it. I, well, it, that makes a ton of sense. I think you're right. Fitz and Harry, Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. Here's just the – let me oversimplify things from my mind, though, sometimes. Like, in my mind, every single reason why New Orleans would be letting Zion go is every single reason why somebody else isn't going to want to give fair market value in a trade for Zion, right? There's no doubt when Zion plays – there's no doubt. They were one of the best teams in the West. Like, Zion at one point was in an MVP conversation. But there's also no doubt that after several years in the league, this isn't new, after several years in the league, it's become wildly apparent that he doesn't take great care of himself, that he's not taking conditioning seriously, and that he seems to have somewhat of a problem staying in shape. I'm trying not to body shame anybody in this process, but let's face it, he doesn't look like he's out here. He doesn't look like Giannis, right? And it's not working. His body's breaking down as a result. So when you've got all of those things together, when you have somebody that you have questionable dedication, questionable work ethic, questionable uh, conditioning, all of these things, but unquestionable talent, that's the whole reason Portland would let him walk. I just don't know why somebody else would bank on Zion then being the guy that can turn their fortunes around. I know everybody wants to be well, able to let find the diamond why, in the rough, but I don't see it. Let me tell you why. It's the potential. And that's what the NBA, that's how the NBA draft. They draft on potential. But also the potential, what a small sample size of what Zion can do when he is healthy. And you know, there's going to be a, a GM or an owner out there that probably says, you know what, we can fix him because of the pride thing, yeah. right? It's going to be somebody out there that says, you know what, we can fix him. We would love to have him. And number two, he's box office. He's, he's going to bring us money to our organization. It's going to be somebody out there that feels that way. So that's why the potential aspect of it is still, you know, floating out there. Yeah, you're, you're right. And I often underestimate how much uh, ego and pride can also be the downfall of front yep. offices and coaches. Uh, the, 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 Harry has echoed that many times. 
and it is a thousand percent right. The one thing I know is they're going to have to be close to a main airport, so major airport, so that he can get all of his friends in and out of town. Just, just a little, little swipe there. Just, just a little. <laughs> that's all I'm saying about that. Uh, we'll keep you updated on any news and nuggets we get about Zion. I told y'all I'm on one today. Uh, but coming up, we led the show uh, with the with. A lot that matters to me. Something I'm incredibly proud of. Well, next up, something that Harry Douglas is incredibly proud of. Someone that knows Harry better than anybody and somebody you cannot miss. We'll tell, tell you about it next, but first, Harry's got to tell you this about Granger. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz. Now, it, we've worked together for a long time. If you've watched Harry and I on digital shows, we've been working together in some capacity since roughly 2019. One of my favorite interviews we've ever done together was when we had Louisville football head coach Jeff Brom on, mostly because finally somebody held Harry to the fire and acknowledged that he's not 6'1". He says he is! I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll try and make Harry uncomfortable again now as Coach joins us, uh, Jeff Brom, Louisville football head coach. So let's start with the most important part of this, Coach. Like, Harry reminds us all the time that there's a gym in his hometown named after he and his brother, Tony. Uh, what's it going to take to get a building at Louisville named after Harry Douglas? Uh, let, let, let's make something happen here, Coach. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, I know maybe if, if he was wearing high heels, he could be six one, but that would probably be about it. Uh, now, now, as far as Harry and his accomplishments, yes, I'll give him that. He was very, very good. He was very talented. He made a lot of plays. So it wouldn't shock me if they named a gym after him. <laughs> That's great stuff. Uh, all right, so let's get to the actual uh, football on the field for you guys. You're, you're, the, the spring is an interesting time. You're trying to figure out what the quarterback situation looks like for Louisville. What's the latest on that? Well, right now, uh, that's an important position uh, for every team, and uh, we're going to work hard to develop it uh, and, and add some depth and continue to just make sure plenty of guys are ready to go. As far as right now, we, we took a transfer quarterback and Jack Plummer from Cal. Uh, who we had at Purdue uh, a while back that they were very familiar with that uh, did a really good job for us and, and at Cal. Uh, and really has one more year left to play. Uh, he came in this spring, did a really, really good job. He's our starter right now. Uh, we've got a couple guys on the team last year that are backing us up that have, you know, progressed as well. And then uh, we added Pierce Clarkson uh, in last year's signing class. Unfortunately, he got injured uh, in a foot injury. Had to have a little bit of surgery. Knocked him out most of all spring practice. But he's working hard and we're developing him. I just feel like uh, adding depth and building that position is very important, and uh, we're going to take a lot of pride in it. Coach, I, I know you're you're an offensive guru. I love my time there at Louisville with you, and also your brother Brian. 
who happened to be my quarterback and now your offensive coordinator. When you look at that side of the ball, what would you say is your strongest position group? Well, I think as we analyze our team, we've been able to address the receiver position through the portal, and we've added some good uh, um, young men to that, and a couple guys coming back last year. I think our running back room is pretty solid. Uh, Jawar Jordan uh, really, really is a talented, uh, explosive, fast running back in the backfield, backed up uh, by Maurice Turner. I, I feel good about that position. Uh, when we got here in the spring, we had three really veteran offensive linemen that are really, really good and uh, others that got to continue to improve and develop. But we added some through the portal that I think we've improved that position already. And really the tight end position is the one that, um, you know, just doesn't have a whole lot of experience. No one has really saw the field a whole lot, has played a whole lot. So we've tried to kind of add that position. But, of course, you know, we want to, you know, score points. We want to be about substance. We're not about fluff. We want our guys to work hard. We want to put in the time and the effort and, and know that in order to win at a high level, you've got to, you've got to work at it. You've got to be committed to competing. And, uh, you know, on offense, we're going to do a lot of things. We're going to challenge the defense and, and be aggressive in our approach and try to score points and let our guys have fun playing the game of football. It's interesting when you talk about that, Coach. We're talking to Jeff Brom, Louisville football head coach, because obviously you've done that at Purdue, but now you have to do that at Louisville, someplace I know you know incredibly well. But for you as a coach, what's the hardest part of establishing the culture that you want in this iteration? Well, I, I feel like that uh, you know we've got a good formula plan of, of working with our guys on a daily basis. We've got coaches, including myself, committed to putting in the work and the time. And, uh, you know, it's okay to have a few hobbies, but we want our hobbies to be about football. And we want to put in the work. And we know in order to win, you've got to uh, have answers to problems and, and, and solutions when they happen and, and, and get those solutions fast. So, fortunately for me, uh, you know, I'm going on my 10th year as a head coach, six years at Purdue, where we're – facing really good teams every week uh, and we're probably not the favorite so you got to get used to finding ways to win and being creative in your approach and giving your guys a chance and doing a few different things with different wrinkles every week uh, so I think our guys love coming over the building uh, we want to have fun but we want to compete we want to win we want guys that you know if you got to use your own personality on the field and that's a little talkative that's fine as long as you're not getting his penalties whatever it takes to get yourself going to compete, to be great. You know, football's a different sport. It's about emotion. It's about passion. It's about intensity. So I just think as coaches, uh, we try to bring that to the table. And then we want our, our players to. And we don't want to back down from anybody. It doesn't mean you're going to win all your games, but you've got to think that you're going to win when you take the field. So we got to get our guys ready to go. Jeff, you're a homegrown Louisville guy. What does the city of Louisville mean to you? And what does it mean to actually be the head coach of the Louisville Cardinals football team? Well, that question, you know, I'm going to take even more pride than I, than I normally do, which is I think is a lot, but it's even more. You know, we've got a lot of people depending on us to win football games, to play an exciting brand of football, to bring uh, entertainment uh, to the stadium. This is a great sports town, a tremendous stadium. A lot of great players, including Harry, have come through here and made a great name for themselves and done a great job for this program. And, uh, you know, so this means something to me. You know, there's a lot of people that, you know, want, want the success and they want it to happen now. So as coaches, it's our job to give it to them. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to be disappointed if we uh, can't produce uh, every week. And uh, you've got to take the losses hard. you got to take the uh, things you're not doing as well as you want hard. you got to find ways to fix it quickly. And you got to be committed to it. And uh, you can't point the finger. you I got to look in the mirror first always and figure out ways I can improve. I just think, you know, I've been battle-tested a little bit. You would hope that uh, I can bring some of that experience to the table and, and help us win now. But, you know, we've got a good schedule, a good competitive conference. Uh, we're probably one of the few 
Power 5 teams that play 11 Power 5 teams on our schedule. Uh, so we look forward to it. And uh, I know uh, if you get winning here, uh, the fans will come out in full force, and it can be a lot of fun. What are the biggest challenges you face building a program, given that it's an NIL and transfer portal world, and you're coming in and establishing this culture? Well, I think in today's age of college football, you just have to be able to adapt. And uh, whether somebody agrees with what's going on or not, you've got to be able to adapt to it. You've got to be able to um, you know, figure out ways to improve your football team and to get better and to utilize every advantage you can. So I think uh, to this point, uh, we've been aggressive in the portal. And even at Purdue, we were pretty aggressive in the portal. But we've been aggressive in the portal here uh, without question. Uh, finding ways to do things for your guys on and off the field is important in today's college athletics and helping them profit off their name, image, and likeness. So I think we have a good plan here uh, that definitely can, can help our football team. And I just think, uh, you know, we can talk about all you want, but you got to win games. you got to be competitive. You got to help your players get to the next level by developing their skills every day and making sure they're committed to putting in the work and and not looking, uh, you know, reading the the headlines ever, but just putting in the work every day. And I just think if you do that consistently over a a long period of time, great things can happen. And, uh, you know, we're going to reach for the stars and try to get there. So, Jeff, you know, when Louisville was was doing a lot of winning, I think one of the things that contributed to that was recruiting and being able to recruit in Louisville and having those four and five-star guys actually stay home and play. Um, How big is that for you, being a Louisville guy and understanding what it means to the program to have those homegrown guys stay in Louisville and play football? Well, I think it's vital. And, uh, you know, I think over the years uh, we've built good relationships with coaches uh, all around, but definitely in the state, myself and even our assistants. And, you know, we try to do things the right way. And uh, we want to be honest with our guys. We want to tell them what we can do for them and how we can do it and show them the plan and, and show them people that we've done it with. Uh, and give them the proof instead of just giving some some uh, talk that has nothing to back it up. Uh, and, you know, a lot of times your best teams are built with a good nucleus of in-state guys that uh, could have went anywhere in the country, but they chose to get it done at Louisville. And then you build it with talent around. I know when, when Harry uh, was a great player here, we went to the Orange Bowl in 12-1. and We had Brian Brom and Michael Bush, who were two very, very highly recruited in-state players, Mario Uridia. And then we built it with the Harry Douglases and the Gary Barnages and many great players around them, Eric Wood, uh, that came in. We just had a great football team, you know, really uh, one block kick from getting probably to the BCS championship game that year. So I just think you just got to be aggressive in recruiting uh, in this state. You got to be aggressive in recruiting down south, which is where, um, you know, we do a lot of our recruiting. But at the same time, wherever we can get guys that we feel can fit in and that want to be a great player and want to, you know, get on the field early and be a difference maker, I think we have a great plan for it. Coach, I was with Calais Campbell last night, and we talked about the 2006 game when we beat Miami, and they came in and stumped on our bird. And I told him, it's like your parents tell you, a hard head, make a soft ass. Don't nobody come in Louisville and stump on our damn bird. So you go ahead and let them play us know right now. Ain't nobody coming in our house and stumping on our damn bird. Well, that, you're exactly right. That's what happened, and it was a long day for him, thanks to you, you and a lot of other of our players. But you know what? Whatever you can do to motivate your team, you got to make sure you can do it. And uh, without question, uh, you know, as coaches and players, we got an eye for everything in pregame warmups and whatever we can use to get our guys ready to go, uh, we do it. But I, you know, you guys are ready to play, and uh, this game's about emotion. It's about intensity. It's about fire and passion it's about being competitive and wanting to win and i think if you just put a group of guys together that you 
teach how to compete every day in practice uh, through hard work and through competition and through going uh, good on good as much as you can. When you get to the game day, it becomes easy and you can achieve things that you never really thought you could have before. So, you know, we've got to stress that. We've got to build that uh, uh, culture and reputation here that uh, we're willing to compete against anybody so that when they do step on the field, uh, anything great can happen. Coach, we appreciate your time. Best of luck this season. Can't watch, wait to watch you kick up. We've always uh, been fans here. Appreciate you hanging out with us. Okay, well, thank you. Thanks, Harry. Have a great day. All right, Coach. That's Jeff Brown, Louisville football head coach. Fitz and Harry presented by Progressive Insurance. Round out your protection with life, phone, and pet health insurance like I do with Annabelle. Love you, Annabelle. All right, coming up, just when you thought the gauntlet couldn't get any tougher in the AFC, it might have yesterday for the Buffalo Bills, and there's new developments. You'll hear about it next. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Steph is not here. How concerned are you about that? Well, very concerned. So clearly, something is wrong in Buffalo. I think there's something else that's bothering Stephon Diggs that I feel like the Bills organization needs to address so they can move forward. Vince and Harry, the podcast. We need to get inside the game. I know this whole game inside now. We ask Coach. Coach, hey Coach. On Fitz and Harry. All you got to do is listen to Harry. He's going to tell you what the problem is. And more often than not, Coach is going to get it right. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. If you're watching us in the ESPN app right now i just want to remind everybody that it is dress for success uh wednesday as we do every single wednesday so i did the best thing i could i took my tie off and i put on a golden knights pullover because success is winning a stanley cup damn it so i'm just saying like that's dress for success uh harry we had a lot of news yesterday about the buffalo bills and we have a new report here and this is all about stefan diggs was he at minicamp was he not at minicamp according to the team he was there for meetings in the morning but not on the field for practice as well Per Bills reporter Elena Getzenberg, Bills wide receiver Stephon Diggs is participating at today's minicamp practice. So, woohoo, rejoice, he's participating. But I was reading an article on ESPN.com, and there was a quote from Josh Allen that really stood out to me because you yesterday were very adamant that this is a simple issue in your mind in the sense that it's about Diggs and the way he's being used. Well, this is a quote. Some This is from ESPN.com. Some examples of Allen, that Allen gave of what the Bills can do to support Diggs is incorporating him, quote, a little bit better in what we're doing here, and, quote, getting him the ball or getting more involved in the game plan. 24 hours ago, you were sitting here saying, hit your damn wide receiver on third down and you don't have this problem. Now I got Josh Allen telling reporters that part of the problem is we got to get a little bit better in what we're doing and getting him the ball. This speaks to what you said. You called a coach. Yeah, and I understand that the offensive coordinator, Ken Dorsey, it was his first year being with the team. Well, not with the team, but in that role. But I think it's inexcusable also when it comes to certain points and critical moments in the ball game to not have Stephon Diggs be the focal point. And if you look at Stephon Diggs' numbers the last three years, over 100 catches, over 100 receptions in each one of those years, over 1,200 yards in each of those years, one year over 1,500, one year over 1,400 don't let that blind you to the fact that when it comes to certain moments in a ball game, 
like against Miami when it's a third down, critical third down, and Stephon Diggs is wide open and Josh Allen doesn't even look to the right side of the field and looks left. Those are the things I think that's, that bother Stephon Diggs. And Fitz, read one more time what Josh Allen said again. He said uh, uh, Allen gave what the Bills could do to support Diggs is, quote, incorporating him a little bit better in what we're doing here huh. and, quote, getting him the ball or getting more involved <laughs> in the game plan. I mean, <laughs> that's that, that's the point that makes me laugh. It really makes me laugh because um, whether Josh Allen is is doing this inadvertently, he's basically saying that Ken Dorsey and also I'm not going to, you know, let Sean McDermott off the hook because he's the head coach and he has to oversee everything. They could be better at doing things for Stephon Diggs. He is your best player on offense outside of Josh Allen. So there's no excuse for him not to be getting the ball on critical third downs. There's no excuse for him not to be getting the ball in critical situations when you're playing against a, uh, a tough opponent or, or, or someone that, you know, one of those big-time games that's on ESPN or Sunday Night Football or whatnot. It's inexcusable. When Josh Allen was there without Stephon Diggs, he struggled. Now, we knew he was going to probably be a good quarterback, but he struggled. But when Stephon Diggs came, he became better at the quarterback position. So I think it's only right for Ken Dorsey moving forward, make sure your best player gets the football in certain moments. I played with two number one receivers, Julio Jones and Roddy White. It was never a question when certain moments came up in games or certain critical third downs, they were not getting the football. They were going to get it. And along with Tony Gonzalez, they were going to get the ball. Point blank, period. My receiver coach literally told me, why in the hell will I draw up a play for you and I got Roddy White, Julio Jones, and Tony Gonzalez. It's that simple, Fitz. It's literally that simple. You're you're a thousand percent right. And also, let me just add on to this. So, like, here's a little what Josh Allen said, by the way, of things that they could do better. There were some some things that uh, could have gone better last year um, and didn't. Um, and just you know, I think we're just as a as an organization, maybe not communicating the right way with with everything. So again, just trying to talk and, and listen at the same time and hear him out and, and, like I said, just try to move this forward as, as quickly and as respectfully as, you know, as possible. You can't, you can't, you can't have leaks of, uh, you have, communication is one of the most important things that involves a team sport, especially football, especially offensively. But that, so that's, it, it can't be miscommunication in that sense if you're trying to compete for a Super Bowl. But I'm not even just going to say the offense. I'm going to say the entire organization. My question is, how have you not communicated for the last several months? Yeah. I mean, what you're talking about, not getting him the ball, everything, we're talking about stuff that happened in January. And we're sitting here now in June. We've got an NBA champion, an NHL champion. You still haven't sat down and worked that out? Like, what is Sean McDermott doing? Like, read the room. Understand when you got an issue where guys aren't feeling like they're being communicated to the right way. And maybe fix it before we get to this point. Like, that's well, inexcusable. It, it, it was evident in, within the last game because you've seen Stephon Diggs feeling some type of way on the sidelines in the snowy game against Cincinnati. We'll keep breaking down other controversies in the AFC East next on Fitz and Harry. Fitz and Harry, the podcast.